Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Good morning and welcome to The Last Word. My name is Johnny and I'm joined here today by my good friends JD. Glad to be here this morning. And Cameron. Also glad to be here this morning. Hey guys, have y'all been liking the brisk 70 degree weather? Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice. It needs to get colder. It needs (laughs) to get colder. Ohioan self is like, no, this isn't good enough. 100%. Yeah, (laughs) I'm over here missing the heat. Um, I'm a good middle. I'm a good middle between y'all. I'm like, I can stay like this and I'm good. Mm -hmm. I like it. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Inspiring. (laughs) All right. So JD, uh, last week he talked about uh, how right after the golden calf, God's first description of himself was that he's compassionate, which is so moving. And my thought was how much this parallels... uh, how constantly in the gospels, Jesus sees a crowd he's about to speak to and he has compassion over them. Mm -hmm. So what does that even mean that Jesus is looking at the crowds and he has compassion over them? For sure. I think that there are kind of two distinctions that we have to make here. The first of which is that compassion is an emotion. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there is an emotional part of this, which is that God suffers with us, that he feels Mm -hmm. with us, not just that he feels for us, but that he feels with us. And really, that's how we would, in our English language, describe empathy more than mm-hmm. compassion. Compassion being you feel for somebody, empathy being you you like feel with mm-hmm. somebody. But in the biblical imagination, really, empathy is what they're getting at when we talk about compassion. So he feels with, he suffers with those people. And, and it's out of that compassion that then we see that compassion is an emotion, but it always leads to action. Mm. And so Jesus sees that the that the crowd is like, uh, I believe it's Matthew chapter nine, that the crowd is like sheep without a shepherd and he mm. has compassion yeah. on them. So he feels for them, he feels with them. And then that moves him to then take action, to begin to teach, to begin to preach, to begin to proclaim the kingdom of God in a really remarkable way. And so it's not only that he feels with us as his people, but that that then moves him towards what we see in the Old Testament, particularly is forgiveness and rescue. Mm -hmm. And so God acts in history. In Jesus, you really see that of the ultimate example of compassion is not only that he teaches the crowds, but ultimately that he suffers for the crowds to the point Mm -hmm. of dying on the cross and that being the ultimate act of compassion. Mm. So good. Mm, Yeah. I... um always think about how cool it is that we have real historical and biblical accounts of what happened when Jesus was walking in the flesh. And to me, it's cool because God, when he declared it in Exodus 34, seven about how he's compassionate, he's never gonna change from that. And it's cool because God didn't need to prove himself to us because mm-hmm. he just is what he is and he is compassionate all the time. He can't be anything but that. And I just think about the Lord and his kindness. It's so cool that we can see that made manifest in the person of Jesus and that we can have accounts and be able to look at that and how it's still present for us today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think of the story that JD actually talked about at Crosstalk with um, the story of Lazarus mm-hmm. and how Jesus wept with 
um, Lazarus's family, even though he knew he was going to bring him back to life and he knew the outcome of everything. In the midst of Jesus being here, he still had compassion and sat with us, well, with mm-hmm. them. And in the same way today, he sits with us in our pains and our burdens. And in Hebrews, when it says he, we don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize. Mm-hmm. He, he sympathizes, mm-hmm. he empathizes, and he has compassion on us. So I always think about that too. Mm. Those are really great connections to the cross and to Lazarus on explaining that. So this next question, I was talking with friends about this and it's a little tough to describe what God's compassion is like felt like in your life because it can sometimes be tricky to point out the moments when you're certain it was God's compassion. So mm. what were either moments that you uh, just noticed God's compassion in your life or like how would you, I don't know, be able to discern if that was you know God's compassion? Mm. Oh my gosh, there are so many things that have happened in my walk with Christ that have not been on my own accord, but it is truly God delivering me from things, drawing me back to things. I think about my own lifestyle when I was in college of really just gratifying myself and trying to like straddle the line between being a follower of Jesus and wanting to pursue the things of the world. And there came a moment in time where it just became so clear to me that this is when I just had to say yes to Jesus, that I truly had to make him the Lord of my life for the very first time. And it was his compassion that that really moved me towards repentance. Um, And I think that that was like a really big moment for me is that you see like that he so tangibly had compassion on me in that moment, that I was deserving of a million different consequences for my own actions. And yet his compassion led me back to him in a very tangible way. It was this moment of forgiveness and rescue in my life when I needed forgiveness and rescue. And I think that's the really cool part about, especially in the Old Testament, that compassion is always linked with God's action of forgiveness and rescue for his people. And so I see that in my own story of how I really learned what it meant to follow Jesus was God's compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my mind goes to all the times um, that I have rebelled and turned away from God, but also a lot of the times where I didn't have the answers and I just felt like hopeless and broken. Mm. And Um, It's crazy how quickly we forget that we do have a God of hope. And even in those times where I, out of my own sin, forgot how good God is and how much hope I do have. And those moments of, you know, you go from mountaintops and literally being with all your friends and Wimberley and on the, on the, in the hill country. And then he's that God, but he's also the God of the bathroom floor. And he's the God Mm -hmm. of like, when you can't get up because you're upset and crying in your room. But um, I think of, like how quickly I forget, but how kind he is. And oh my gosh, so many moments I can't like, mm, <laughs> I yeah. can't describe just one experience, but um, so many times where he reminds me and I feel like a physical presence in the room of asking for forgiveness or just turning to him when I don't have the words to say and seeing the Holy Spirit um, and Christ like intercede for me in that moment and feeling it too. Um, so I don't know, I guess, I don't want to say it's like a feeling because it's not, but it's it's a completely different experience of depending on the truth and then seeing God come through in those moments because he always does. Right, I would even say, I mean, we see in those moments that God's compassion is this like heartfelt response to the pain and suffering yeah. of mm-hmm. his people. And that's, I think, what both of our stories kind of get to. And I don't know yeah. about you, Johnny, but it is in that moment, 
I can see the heart of God mm-hmm. in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my own uh, regret and shame and all of that. It is this heartfelt response on the part of God who who enters in and shows compassion mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like just times when I felt so defeated, whether it was like loss or maybe something I've done, uh, which has been, you know, many times and, uh, it's like, you know, when people are like comforting you and stuff and they're trying to show compassion, it's like, yeah, it's helpful and stuff, but God's compassion like feels so different. And like, that's the mm-hmm. true like healing that I felt in those like lowest moments of that he really truly understands everything I have done and like what I'm feeling mm-hmm. and he's fully present for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that just like overcomes me and then brings me to this like, peace that I don't think I could have gotten from other, you know, people's compassion in those moments. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah, I think his good question. All right. So last question, uh, do y'all have any tips for the people listening on how we can practically apply this to their lives and they could be better at showing compassion to someone, even when it's someone they don't really like, maybe? Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the first place is we have to go back to the compassion that we have experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're not acting out of that center, if we're not acting out of an understanding of God's compassion for us, we're never going to be able to adequately show <laughs> compassion to others. It's like this sort of reciprocal responsiveness. We are compassionate and forgiving towards one another because God has been compassionate and forgiving towards us. Us And so one of the things for me, um, for me very personally, is that when I get into a situation and I either uh, want to feel judgment towards others or I want to judge myself, that is an indicator that I am not trusting that God is truly compassionate. And so when I notice these things in myself, I have to return to this understanding of the compassion that I have experienced in Jesus and allow that to be the place that I begin uh, as I seek to show compassion to myself and to, to others. Because again, we see this picture of a God who turns toward us in our suffering and our hurt. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to then live that out in the reality of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just have to remember that I'm in my own strength, I'm not compassionate and I can't extend the kind of grace that Mm -hmm. only the Lord can give. Um, And so I think like for me, I would say, make sure that you're spending time with the Lord for yourself to receive that and to get filled in and poured into. And because on your own and your own strength, like you're not going to be able to extend that compassion that God has extended to you. Um, So reminding yourself of it, meditating on it, sitting with it. And also like for me and something, I guess like the tip and advice I would Mm -hmm. give is always a be checking if the compassion you're giving is genuinely like out of your heart Mm -hmm. and always make sure that it's not just something that's a behavior and something that's like, oh, this seems like on the outward, this is like the right thing to do, but always be evaluating what is my heart posture towards this person right now and towards this situation. Um, because you know, in scripture it says that if I'm if I don't have love when I speak and if I'm just faking it, I'm I'm a clinging symbol. Mm. I'm a gong, um, and so it's 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 meaningless. And so um, I always try to ask the Lord and try to check like, okay, God, I uh, need you to extend help me extend compassion deeply and genuinely from my heart and make sure it's not just something that I'm doing right now because it seems like the external right thing to do. Mm. Also, that's really good. I believe it was Dave Eubank maybe that was talking about like 
when he's helping someone in, you know, the line of fire even, he's thinking like that's someone's, you know, daughter or brother, or just like family member. And thinking of them in that way changed his perspective on like, like seeing that they are like more worthy despite like, you know, the circumstance around him. And I think that can apply really practically to us where it's like the person you're like looking at or judging or you're like, you know, struggling to show compassion to that needs it is someone that like, you know, there's a bigger picture going on if they are, you know, a brother and sister in Christ. And we are called, you know, to love our enemies and we're called to, you know, love one another um, as, you know, God has loved us. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that gets back to this Imago Day sort of theology that we talked about earlier this semester. It's this idea that, yes, like we are all created in the image of God. We are children of God and therefore they are deserving of the same level of compassion and yeah. empathy that we have been shown. I think that's really, really good. Johnny is like mm-hmm. flipping that script as opposed to this is a person to be frustrated with mm-hmm. who is in my way, who is an inconvenience mm-hmm. in my life to now saying, that is a person who is just as worthy of God's compassion and love as I am. Super, mm-hmm. super good, man. Yeah. The moment we start seeing people as an inconvenience or burden, we need to evaluate what we're doing wrong. Mm. <laughs> something is wrong. Truth, fire. Y'all did amazing. <laughs> JD, would you like the last word? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are going to be continuing in this series on the character of God. And last week we saw, like we've been talking about, that God is compassionate. And the second characteristic that God uh, calls himself is that he is gracious. Now, when we say gracious from like a very human perspective, we mean that somebody is like a, a polite or they're courteous or uh, they're, they're doing us a kindness. Or if we describe an athlete as graceful, that means that they move in a very smooth way, that it looks effortless and that it doesn't look difficult for them to do. But that's not what gracious means when we talk about who God is. It is his attitude towards us and it ultimately flows out of his goodness that he can then show us grace. And so we'll we'll examine this week what it means that God shows us unmerited favor and how that really plays out in the reality of everyday life. And for me, one of the big things that I love to look at is that, especially in the writings of Paul in the New Testament, he never separates the grace of God from Jesus's work on the cross. And so Mm -hmm. we see the grace of God made manifest throughout the biblical narrative in some really, really profound ways. And it ultimately takes us right back to the cross, which is something I'm very, very excited for. So we'll see you guys on Thursday. I am so excited to gather with you guys. I'm also excited because this week I get to see you tomorrow and then I get to see you on Saturday and then I get to see you on Sunday. It's like four days in a row that I get to hang out with you guys, which is a very exciting thing for me. I, I, I really do have this sense of anticipation about what God wants to do in our lives through Encounter this weekend. So as Jeremiah said, if you guys have not signed up for Encounter, please, 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 if you guys can make it, please join us. We would love to have y'all. We would love to have you guys. Now, we as Crosstalk are in the middle of a series where we have been looking at the character of God, specifically a couple of verses in Exodus chapter 34. And this is the first time that God sits back and he describes his own character. Last week, if you guys remember, we took a look at the context for this proclamation that God makes about his own character. And it's this really, really intense moment. 
God and Israel are entering this covenant relationship. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they're committing to each other. It's like a, like a marriage ceremony is a, is a great way of thinking about this moment. Marriage is another covenant relationship, so it makes perfect sense for us to think of this as this marital moment, the coming together of two people. That's what's happening here. So God and Israel, they're at the altar. They've said their vows to one another. And then right after Israel agrees to the terms of this covenant, they start worshiping this idol statue, a golden calf. And this is the equivalent of slapping God in the face. They've committed to this relationship and yet have turned away and have worshipped something else. So this is when God is revealing his glory to Moses in the aftermath of this golden calf incident. And in that context, God declares of himself five attributes. He declares of himself five attributes, and that's what we're going to continue to work through the rest of this semester. Now, the first of these is that God is compassionate. That God is compassionate. Now, I have to admit how much I love that we are talking about this verse because it truly is gets right to the essence of God's character. I've been looking forward to this series for actually just about two years. I started here on October 1st of 2020, and I knew that I wanted to talk about this. And so for me, I, I'm, I'm very excited that we are here at this moment, because in my mind, this is one of the most important things that we can try to think about or try to understand. It's a picture of who God is. It's asking the question, what is God like? And when we do that, we begin to understand how God views us when we fail, when we go through suffering, what God is like in the midst of our human experience. And I just think that that has a massive impact on our lives, how we view the people around us, how we view ourselves in light of who God says he is. Now, a good analogy for thinking about this is our day-to-day relationships. If you're meeting somebody for the first time, you don't have any context for them. You don't have any background information, so it can be really difficult to read them. You're learning how to read what they say and what they do because you don't have this relational equity that has been built up over time, so you often don't know how to take something, right? So the same word or expression or even a tone of voice that is used with a friend can be taken in an entirely different way in the context of somebody that we don't have a lot of background information for. And I think that's so true of how people encounter God's character in the Bible. Most of us come with some idea in our heads of who God is. Now, some of us, we got that from the Bible, but for most of us, it's probably from someplace else. And as a result, it can be really hard for us to actually let the Bible tell us who God is and allow that description to set the agenda. A.W. Tozer, who is a theologian in the the 1900s, states that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing 
about us. He goes on to say that the most important fact about a person is not what they might say or do at any given moment, but what in his deepest of his part of his heart believes about God. That it's not about his actions or about his word, but the most important thing about a person is what in his deep heart he believes God to be like. We as human beings tend to move towards our mental image of God. Whatever we think God is like, we tend to move in that direction. And he goes on to warn that if our mental image of God is improper, if it's not in line with what scripture says, then it has the power to destroy the gospel message so that it's totally unrecognizable to the people around us. So we want to develop an understanding of who God says he is. These verses are super important for us because they set the context and give us a baseline idea so that we come to understand everything that God says or does is somehow an expression of these five attributes. And the very first word I think is really significant for us as we develop this picture of who God is, and that is the word compassion. That God is a compassionate God. Exodus 34 verse 6 says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The first word that God uses to describe himself is compassionate. Now, every form of this word, so verb, noun, adjective, every form of this word is related to the Hebrew word for womb, like a mother's womb. Now, you guys might be sitting in your chairs, you might say that makes absolutely no sense. These two words are 100% not connected with one another. Well, we know they're related because in Hebrew, they have the same root. And this is really complicated, but I'm going to try and make it very, very simple. Every word in Hebrew has a three-letter root upon which the word is built. It would be like if you took the word compassion in English and you just said that like P-A-S is the root of that word. Does that make sense? So in Hebrew, you go in and you can go to the middle of the word and those middle three letters are what is called the root. And the Hebrew word for compassion and the Hebrew word for womb have that same three letter root, which means that they are connected in meaning which is a really crazy, crazy thing to think about. That these two words, compassion and womb, are related to one another in the biblical conception of who God says he is. The image in context draws out this nurturing nature of God. If you were to go to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 and 16, for example, the picture that God has when he is speaking to the nation of Israel is that of a nursing mother. Israel is a child that God is this nursing mother to. It's a remarkable picture. That's how these concepts are connected with one another. It's this nurturing nature of God. Now, the word compassion is inherently an emotional word. There's something that stirs inside of us when it comes to the emotion of compassion. So I want to look at an example of this, and we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 
Now, I want to say kind of from the jump that this is an incredibly, incredibly strange story. We're acknowledging that as a group as we read this story. This is an incredibly strange story, but I think that there's some really cool insight that we can pull from this. From this. To set the stage, there are these two women. They live in the same house with one another, and they have a baby on the same day. So, two roommates have a baby on the same day in the same house. Now, the unfortunate thing is one of these children ends up passing away. One of the children ends up passing away, and then both of the women claim that the baby that is still living is theirs. Both mothers claim that the living child is their child. And so what they do is they end up going to King Solomon to to settle this dispute once and for all. Now, Solomon has a pretty, uh, shall I say, uh, abrupt way of handling this situation. He says, divide the living child in two, give one half to one, and give one half to the other. His solution is just split it in half, 50-50, each of you gets one half, which is kind of just like this very abrupt way of coming to this solution. But then in verse 26, it says, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. Now, the phrase deeply moved in our English translation is how the translators are deciding to translate the word compassion. So when we see deeply moved in this verse, it is the same word as when God describes himself as compassionate. It has an emotional element to the word, and we can see that here. And this is ultimately how Solomon knows that she is the true mother by this act of compassion. It's kind of like a gotcha moment in the end. becomes very, very clear who the real mother is because of her compassion for her child. But you can see how deep and emotional this word is. It it evokes this sort of like gut-wrenching feeling to think about somebody taking the life of your child that she would do anything that she possibly had to do to save the life of her baby. Now, the association of the word compassionate with the word womb also depicts compassion as centered in the core of a person. That it's not a superficial or secondary emotion, but it is found deep in the core of a person. And you can sense that here in the story. Just imagine for a second how you would feel if this was your child and somebody was taking your child and threatening to take its life. It would make you sick to your stomach. It would have this visceral reaction in that moment where your compassion is found is deep in the core of your person. It's found deep within you. It moves us to the core of our being. And I think that's the picture that's being painted here of God in Exodus chapter 34. So if you feel something in the core of your being and you're having that for another person in their situation, that's compassion in the sense of the Hebrew word. If you are feeling this emotion at the core of your being, and it is for another person in their situation, that is the essence of compassion. This is how God responds to people when they are in pain throughout the biblical narrative. 
If you break our English word compassion down into its Latin parts, it means very specifically to suffer with. And I think that this English word very clearly gets to the very core of the meaning of the Hebrew word, to suffer with. And so when we think of compassion, we need to begin to to think of it in this way. I think oftentimes in our English language, we make a distinction between compassion and empathy. Whereas compassion is feeling bad for somebody, where empathy is putting yourself in their shoes and beginning to do something about it. Here in Hebrew, what we're seeing is the coming together of both of those ideas, that it is not only feeling for somebody, but it is suffering with somebody. Of all the references in the Bible to compassion, and there are about a hundred of them, give or take a few, 80% of the usages of the word compassion are of God's attitude and action towards us. 80% of the usage in the Bible is God's compassion to us. Only 20% refers to human compassion, the way somebody feels about somebody else. Put another way, this word used to describe a feeling of deep emotion is most commonly used to describe God. Here's the other thing about compassion. We've talked about how it's this nurturing and emotional word, how it's most often used of God, but it's not just an emotion. It's an action. Compassion has an action part to it. Many times in the Old Testament, compassion is used in parallel relationship with either forgiveness or deliverance or both of those. In other words, compassion is paired with the action of forgiveness and rescue. So when, we ex- when God experiences compassion, when he shows compassion that is paired with his forgiveness and his rescue of whoever that compassion is directed towards. The idea is that when we fail, when we fail in our own human behavior and we turn to God, we can depend on his consistent character of compassion towards us. Let's look at Psalm 51 here for a second. Um, This is kind of the perfect example of how compassion and, and forgiveness go hand in hand with one another. If you guys remember the story of David, David has just committed adultery. He is murdered and he has sacrificed the lives of others in an effort to cover up his sin. And the prophet Nathan confronts him about it. And here's what David has to say. This is Psalm 51, verse one. It says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. In other words, what David is saying here is because of your compassion, forgive me. Because of your compassion for me, forgive me. Right here in this verse, he uses three of the five words from Exodus 34, 6. Mercy, unfailing love, and great compassion which is remarkable. Tim Mackey, who, who is the head guy over at the Bible Project, he, he says that this verse is modeling for us what it means to read the golden calf story as a story about ourselves. What is happening in, in the story of Israel in the golden calf is actually about the human condition, the way that all of us are and God's disposition towards us when we do the same thing that the nation of Israel does. 
Forgiveness and compassion go together in God's character. Now, let us think back to Exodus 34 here for a second. How interesting is it that the God of the universe, in response to his own people's rebellion, first describes himself using the word compassion? That is really, really profound. In the face of human rebellion, in the face of human idolatry, in the face of these people turning away from him, he first describes himself as compassionate. That is some deep, deep stuff. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we see the story of God's compassion continue to play out in the person of Jesus. It's arguably much, much easier for us to see this in the story of Jesus because he so tangibly has compassion on the poor and the sick and the hurting. He so tangibly has Uh, compassion on those who are suffering. And we see this throughout all of the Gospels. If you turn to any of the first four books of the the New Testament, you're going to see these stories of of Jesus's repeated compassion towards those around him. Now, the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 is a great example of this compassion in Jesus. If you guys remember that story, Mary, Mary and Martha come to Jesus And they tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. They say that the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus tells these two women that Lazarus is going to die, but that he is going to raise them from, raise him from the dead. But when Lazarus does die and he sees how devastated Mary and Martha are, it tells us that Jesus weeps that Jesus weeps with these sisters. Even though he knows that he is going to raise this man from the dead, he weeps because of the loss that Mary and Martha are experiencing. He weeps because of the suffering of his friend in Lazarus. And the picture of the deep emotion of Jesus suffering with people is really powerful. It is the essence of compassion. If you were to go back and you were to read any of the gospel stories from cover to cover and you read it through this lens of compassion, you would see it peppered throughout in the way that Jesus cares for people, in the way that he heals, in the way that he teaches. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus it says, had compassion upon the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to teach them. In the Old Testament, compassion is expressed as forgiveness and rescue. And the ultimate expression of this is Jesus's own self-sacrifice, where he enters into our suffering, offering us forgiveness and rescue through his death. All the things that we've talked about in the Old Testament come together in this act of Jesus. The ultimate example of forgiveness and rescue comes through this act of compassion found at the cross. And looking back on all of these examples, we see that God's compassion is this heartfelt response to his people who are suffering and hurting. It is this 
deeply emotional response to the hurting and suffering of his people, whom he created in his own image. And so our compassion then is this heartfelt response to having experienced the compassion of God. Our compassion flows from an understanding of God's compassion for us. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. What Paul demonstrates in this verse is this sort of reciprocal responsiveness, that we are compassionate to one another, that we forgive one another because God has been compassionate and forgiving towards us. Again, compassion and forgiveness are joined together. And we are most enabled to show compassion towards others when we understand the depth of God's compassion towards us. Paul is saying, if we have received so much compassion, despite the fact that I've spent so much of my life in these destructive attempts to try to meet my own needs. And in spite of that, God still comes and he truly meets my needs. Then that should be the way that I act towards others. There are some people out there who who think that compassion is a really dangerous thing because it can only be applicable to those that we love because it makes us selective, that it makes us choose favorites, who is deserving of this and who is not. But in the story of the Bible, what we see is that we are all one big human family created in the image of God. So compassion should drive us towards a true care for every human, no matter who they are. It is the practice of seeing everyone as people in need of compassion. I say this as somebody who's still learning compassion and empathy. As somebody who who feels like sometimes I'm not very good at it. But sometimes that I get myself in trouble for it. It's just something that I have had to learn that I have to be incredibly, incredibly intentional about in my life. And because it's not something that I feel like I'm naturally good at or something that gets me in trouble, it would be easy to say that I should stop trying to do it. But it's worth working on. It's worth being incredibly intentional about in our lives because we see that the first attribute that God says about himself is that he suffers with us, that he is deeply stirred by the things that we need. In his compassion, he wants to fill those needs for me and for you. And out of that, I then begin to show that to the people who are in my life. To the people that I feel like deserve it, but also especially to the people that I feel like don't deserve it. We started tonight by talking about our view of God our picture of of who God is and how important our picture of God is because it affects everything. It it affects how we view our relationship with God. It affects how we view ourselves and it really affects how we view other people. 
with this word compassionate, I think we can really begin to see the importance of how we view God. Because when we aren't viewing God as compassionate, it is really, really hard to approach him. I have no desire to come to him with my needs. But it's also really hard when I don't see God as compassionate to show myself compassion because I don't feel worthy of compassion. And finally, it's really, really hard to have compassion on somebody else when we don't understand God as a compassionate God. So my encouragement for you guys, as somebody who is on this journey with you, who is on my way, is that this week to pay attention to these things in yourself. It's the tendency when I feel like judging others or when I feel like judging myself that that is an indicator that I am not trusting that God is truly compassionate. When those feelings of judgment come up, that is an indicator that I am not viewing or understanding God as truly compassionate. And when you begin to notice these things, return to this image of God that we see here in Exodus chapter 34, a God who is compassionate in the face of his own people's rebellion a God who who demonstrates that he suffers with these people even when they make mistakes, who turns towards us in our suffering and our hurt. Let us be a people who live out of that center, who are known by how compassionate we are to the people around us. Let us pray. God, we thank you, Jesus, for for this picture of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are compassionate. In the very essence of your beings, being, it is not a superficial feeling for us, but God, that you suffer with us. In the core of your being, you are moved by your compassion towards acts of forgiveness and rescue for us in our life. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate example of compassion. That when we look to your work on the cross, Jesus, we see your compassion, that you would suffer on our behalf for us. And so, Father, we want to be your people, a people who are known by our compassion, by the people, as people who, who so desperately want to see your name made great in this place. And God, we ask that this week, Lord, that you would make us aware of your compassion, Lord, that we might live out of that center, Jesus, and that we might see the effects of your love and your grace through our compassion.